Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm sitting in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, sitting behind the broadcast desk and Pastor Murphy is on vacation for the month of August so you won't be hearing his voice on the program tonight or next week but don't worry and please don't turn your radio off. Tonight and next week, we have two very capable, knowledgeable pastors who will be filling in in the absence of Pastor Murphy. Tonight, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Osbert Joseph, the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church here in Antigua. It's located at the corner of Rose and Princess Streets in Ottos, Antigua. Pastor Joseph has been a friend of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse for many years. Pastor Joseph, good evening and welcome to That's Truth. It's good to have you in the studio tonight. Good evening, Nathan. It's an absolute joy to be here uh, as well. Um, I must confess to the audience that this is my very first time sitting down in a live um, setting at Lighthouse. I've done one brief interview with you before. Um, That eventually was run on the station, but that wasn't live. You know, so um, I'm getting my feet wet tonight, as it as it were. Well, <laughs> Good night, everyone, and I'm indeed very pleased to be um, on the program tonight. It's a blessing to have you here. I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time, Pastor uh, Pastor Joseph. If I call you Pastor Murphy at any time, just correct me or just ignore it and move on. My brain now for the last 18 months has been programmed to on Tuesday evenings say Pastor Murphy this or Pastor Murphy that. So go ahead and. Uh, Accept that apology ahead of time. This is his seat and his place, and we won't fuss. (laughs) (laughs) Some topics that we discuss here on That's Truth, you may find yourself thinking about to some degree just about every week or maybe even most days. And there are some topics that we discuss that are just as important, but you wouldn't find yourself meditating on them quite as often. The topic tonight is one of those that you may not have put lots of thought into recently, but it's very relevant and has far-reaching importance. We may discuss a lot of terms tonight. We may go in-depth in areas that you haven't recently studied, but I can promise you this. We are going to do our absolute best to keep the topic understandable, applicable, and memorable so that you can share what the Bible teaches with your friends and family. By now, you're probably saying, All right, Nathan, what in the world is the topic? Hurry up and tell me. We're going to be discussing biblical talk, biblical covenants. And before we get to our topic, Pastor Joseph, go ahead and I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the listeners. 
Well, again, I say um, good night to the listening audience. Uh, my name is Osbert Joseph, and as uh, Brother Nathan said, I pastor at the Trinity Baptist Church. Been there for the last uh, two and a half years. We are located out at Rose and uh, Princess Streets. We have a nice little program uh, going on there. I like to tell people that uh, I, I believe, and I say this with all humility, that we run the best adult Sunday school program anywhere on Ireland. So, you know, I mean, if you ever feel like you want to be in a good Sunday school adult class, come and see us 9.30 any Sunday morning. Um, all of our teaching ministries, are, you know, I think they're quite good. And you will also enjoy and learn a lot from them. So if you ever feel like coming by, sure, see us on a Sunday morning, 9.30. See us um, back at 6 o'clock or on a Wednesday at, at 7 um, p.m. in the evening. Those are the hours that our doors are open. I'm absolutely happy to be hosting, um, well, to be on this program tonight, sitting in for um, Pastor Murphy, who graciously allowed me to, to come on, um, a man I respect immensely um, in the faith that I, I look for, for, you know, a little bit of um, mentoring etc you know and I'm really grateful that he's asked me to come in and take his spot tonight time across eastern caribbean is 7:36 we've got almost the full 90 minute program ahead of us so go ahead and contact us if you have any questions and we're going to jump right into this topic pastor joseph uh, biblical covenants I'm going to be completely honest with you. When you said this is the topic you wanted to discuss tonight, I had to do some research myself. So go ahead and give us some definition of some key terms and lay some groundwork for us, if you would, please. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Lynn. I've done some preparatory work, and um, I've come up with a, a bit of a structured approach in terms of how we'll lay out this topic um, tonight. Uh, I want to start first by giving us a definition in general of what covenants are, and then we're going to move on to looking at some types of covenants, and then we're going to look for some biblical examples of covenants that um, God has made, and then um, we're going to get into exploring each of those aspects a, a little more um, deeply. Uh, tonight, we can at best only open a conversation about biblical covenants, and um, by that, I mean that the topic is so vast. There's just so much um, to cover that we'll not be able to um, exhaust it. I'm very passionate about this topic in particular because, uh, to me, it's a topic from my Christian experience that has been much neglected. And I think that many persons have been robbed of the joy of you know, their salvation because they don't understand what um, covenants and especially biblical covenants are. So um, my hope tonight is to open up this subject matter in a way that would be appealing to, to the audience and that they can begin to become curious enough as to want to inquire more into the, the subject matter and to come to a place where if they are saved, they really can be at rest, that they are saved and safe for eternity. So let me let me let me start first by 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 saying what what a covenant is to get us going. Now covenants at their base are agreements which are made by two parties. So at minimum, a covenant is an agreement. When we think of Bible covenants, we see God venturing into some form of agreement with man. But in the most critical ones, the most critical covenants that we find God makes, He covenants 
with himself. Now, that's a very interesting angle in terms of Bible covenant, God covenanting with himself. Now, why would he do that? Wonderful. If God doesn't covenant with us to accomplish his purposes, they will not get accomplished. Man will always fail. We can, for example, um, go back to our first parents in Genesis. And um, God created and put them in this wonderful environment and gave them a single prohibition. He said, you can really have the lay of the land, feast from all the trees of the garden, but this one tree, don't eat from that because in the day that you eat from that tree, then you will die. Now, of course, um, curiosity got the better of them. The serpent came in and tempted Eve, got her to disobey God, and then the human race was plunged into problems. We died. Our parents died, and we subsequently died in them too. Now, uh, you will go on, for example, to Genesis chapter 6 and see that the, the result of this fall became so grievous to God that God would say, it repented me that I have made man. So we have to ask a curious question. Why then didn't God simply strike out humanity when our first parents disobeyed? And we're going to find that he didn't do that because he had covenanted with himself. And this is what I said earlier on. Mm-hmm. There are some covenants in which God covenants with himself. So he covenanted with himself even before he created us that he would save us. And that really is, is, is the beauty of, of covenants when really understanding that our own safety has been guaranteed by God even before he made any of us. So he abundantly provided to reconcile us and to restore us and to bring us back into relationship um, with, with himself because he made that covenant on our behalf. Do you have a question, maybe about tonight's topic, maybe about something else? We would love for you to contact us. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is one 462 7420 that will put you live on the air 2684627420 if you'd rather whatsapp or text send it to 12687821454 pastor joseph i interrupted you you were defining covenants and giving some groundwork go ahead exactly so because i really want to get this foundation out so that you know people have a platform to respond when they, when they call in. So let me go back to say, when we think of Bible covenants, we see God venturing into s- some form of agreement with man. But in the most critical ones, he covenants with himself. And I illustrated um, what I meant by that just now. So we said the covenant of salvation is a covenant in which God decided by himself that he would rescue us. Um, two portions of scripture that we can look to see this in Galat- is Galatians 3.17 and Hebrews 13.20. I won't read those texts as yet, but I'm just putting them out there so people can reference them. The agreement um, is one or more conditions to be satisfied by one or both parties. So when, when, when a covenant is erected, typically we have two parties who are venturing into this, into this covenant, and the covenant is itself a set of stipulations that needs to be satisfied by either one party in the covenant or by both parties in the covenant. Why is that important? Because when you study biblical covenants, you're going to see that they have two kinds typically. They're either conditional covenants 
or they are unconditional covenants. In the conditional covenants, it means usually that both sides have things to do. They must perform according to the stipulations in the agreement. For an unconditional covenant, usually this is erected by God himself. And he is the one who is guaranteeing that whatever it is that his purpose is, will come to pass. Because he is the guarantor of, and, and the surety of that particular uh, agreement. So, salvation, as you believe the scripture clearly teaches, would be conditional or unconditional covenant? Salvation would be an unconditional covenant. And this is truly a pet area of mine. Um, there are so many people who have no assurance of their own salvation. They, they, they feel that salvation is conditioned upon what they do instead of what God has done for them. There, there is nothing really that anybody can do to save himself. What salvation ultimately means is, is, is that God has to take me from a place where I am literally dead to a place where he gives me life. And the life that he offers me is his very life. There's nothing I can do to earn his life. And, and, and that would get me into an area of speaking about the fact that when the Bible says that we are dead, what God means is not that we are in our natural physical beings dead. Obviously, we, we are alive. And, you know, nobody would argue that they're alive if they're alive. Um, but the truth is, what the Bible teaches is that we are dead in the spirit. We're really spiritual beings. There are some people who take issue with that. But if you take time out and you study scripture carefully, you'll see that. So that when, for example, Adam and Eve died, when um, they disobeyed God in the garden, what it means is that they lost spiritual connection with God. Bible teaches we're really spiritual beings living in a natural physical house. And so, for example, when we experience physical death, body goes back to the soil. But the Bible says, but the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And so salvation is about our requiring life back in the spirit. And this life is given to us in Jesus Christ. And because of God's eternal covenant, all we need to do is come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And he restores us. Uh, back, back, back to life, and that's that's what what salvation really is, um, from the Baptist perspective. Do you have anything else you'd like to add as you lay the groundwork in relation yes. to? Yes, let me let me continue to um, lay the groundwork in terms of what covenants are. Now, there's a very interesting um, characteristic about bi biblical covenants, and we need to get this out the way early. A biblical covenant is more than just. Uh, an ordinary agreement that two persons or two parties um, erect. Biblical covenants are normally sealed by blood and they're usually escapable only by death of one or both parties. For example, here's a simple one that we can relate to. Um, marriage is a blood covenant. M many of us, uh, without having proper biblical knowledge, don't realize this. But this is what it really is. Mm -hmm. And one of the, 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 the um, uh, conditions in the oath that we take is that we say, till death do us part. In fact, Paul uses that very illustration. 
um, in Romans to speak about the covenant of, of salvation. So um, let's say that all things remain equal in the relationship. Then that covenant cannot be broken until one or the two parties dies. You're only free from the covenant when somebody dies. All right? Now, you're beginning to see a little glimpse of why it is that you have security in your salvation. Because until Jesus dies, and he has died only once. Never again. You're married to him once you're saved by him. The church is called what? The bride of Christ. He won't die. I'm so uh, glad that he keeps his covenant more than people that enter into the marriage contract nowadays do, where it's just a passing. Absolutely. And the point is, we can become unfaithful, but he can never be unfaithful to himself. He says this, for example, my sheep hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life. Hear this part. And they shall never perish. Well, what is it not to perish? Not to perish means never to die. You'll never cease to exist. He can never break that relationship. I'm safe in the relationship because he has sworn in himself. This is a unilateral covenant. All you need to do is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, people take issue with that because they say, well, you know, you're giving me license to go out and live as a sinner. Not really. Because you are now held to live in a life of uprightness in Christ once you are saved. And, and, and if you don't, then, you know, God has various ways to chastise. Whom he loves, he chastises. If he doesn't chastise us, then we're really bastards. We're not sons or children in the kingdom. And then John tells us in one of his epistles that there is a sin unto death. So if we're not giving glory to God in our salvific life, then God says, you are not helping the kingdom, so I'm going to take you out. But you have not lost your eternal life. I know, of course, that that is going to be a very tenacious issue for a number of people, but that is scripture. And, you know, here's where, of course, we can explore as we get calls from, from persons. Let me continue, um, if you don't mind, just a little bit. Um, to get the groundwork out of the way. So normally, biblical covenants are sealed um, by blood, which really is a way of saying that the way to escape the covenant is by death of one or the two parties. Another thing about biblical covenants is that the stipulations inside the, inside the covenant, they're all of equal weight. So a covenant is one structure however many conditions are inside there. So, for example, let's look at the, the covenant at Mount Sinai between God and Israel. There were ten stipulations inside there. It is one body. It's to be understood, for example, um, like a chain. You're talking about the ten commandments? The ten commandments. Okay. It's to be understood. It's like a chain, and every link in the chain is of the same size and strength. And it doesn't matter how heavy the weight is that you lift on that chain. If one link breaks, mm. then the whole weight comes, comes crashing down to the ground. So you cannot emphasize any one condition in a covenant. All conditions must be met equally at the same time or the covenant falls apart. So, for example, we find um, James in James chapter 2 verse 10 saying, 
for whosoever shall keep the whole law. And, and the law here, let's understand, again, from a biblical perspective, is, is not just the Ten Commandments. Some people will think the law is just. No, the law is the whole economy given to Moses by way of instruction to give to Israel when God brought them out of, out of Egypt. And again, you know, for those who might say, no, that's not true, then we have a variety of scriptures that we can go and prove that what I've just said is the absolute truth. All right. So, for example, if God imposes on a person um, the the let's say the old covenant, every clause must be kept to perfection. Not just the ten clauses, all the other clauses that embodies the covenant. And all it takes is for any person to break just one of them, and then the whole covenant comes all the way down, because it must be maintained as an unbroken whole. Let me ask you this then. If that's the case, obviously God knew before he gave that covenant that there was no way that anyone from that point on would ever be able to attain it. So why in the world would he make that covenant? Nathan, that's an excellent question. Actually, um, in my outline, I, I have that I have, a, I have a statement here. Why would God make one, an unconditional covenant? And two, why would he make a conditional covenant. For the conditional covenant, God does it to hold man accountable to himself. So, for example, if, if you come to the place of realizing that because God covenanted in Christ to save me, and I'm saved on nothing else but my express faith in the one who saves. That's in Jesus Christ. And I'm sealed as a child of God, thereby for all eternity. Then I'm going to tell myself, then I'm free to sin as I please. No. God, in fact, Paul says in Romans 6, God, God, God forbids. Yeah. God, never, God, God now says, be holy because I am holy. All right. The unconditional covenants is, is to bring man, one, to the place of realizing the sovereignty of God over us and over his creation. And that he has not given us to be the ones who determine our own self-existence and behavior before him. And so in these conditional covenants, what he does then is he holds us accountable to living and walking uprightly before him. That really is, is, is the idea. It for example, you have children, and I mean, they did nothing to become your children. They are children as a consequence of what you did. But then they live in your household. And so you have a structure of authority in that household. And you say to them, if you want to continue to enjoy the benefits of being here, then here's a code of conduct that you need to follow. And, and that is what God essentially does to us um, in, in covenants, especially the conditional covenants that he holds us um, accountable. Again, we can explore um, what he did to Israel, for example, for not following the conditions of the, covenants that, the covenant that he raised with them um, on Mount Sinai. And that is, as I said, a, a conditional covenant because it ultimately was replaced by the eternal covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is 7.54. 
We still have just over an hour left in the program. If you have a question about this topic or about any topic, and you'd like to hear what the biblical worldview or what the Bible has to say on a particular topic or how you should answer a question, maybe it's something that someone asked you today at work and you just don't know for sure how to answer it. Maybe you started to answer it, but you'd like a pastor's input. You'd like Pastor Joseph to give his input on what the Bible says about that topic. Feel free to give us a call. That's why we're here on this Tuesday evening. You can call us and put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Okay, so um, let me... Again, kind of run down um, the outline that I have, so as again to you know help the set the, the framework. So we said that covenants at their base they are agreements, but when we come to biblical covenants, they are at a much higher level because the agreements that are sealed by blood, typically saying that the only way of escape is when somebody dies. That covenants must be seen as a whole unit. So however many clauses are inside the covenant, they all must be kept to the very same degree. You break one, and then you have destroyed the whole covenant. Then we move on to types of covenants, and we said that there are generally two in Scripture. We have what are called conditional um, covenants, in which, of course, both parties have obligated themselves by way of the agreement to performing the clauses written into the covenant to keep the covenant alive and intact. We have unconditional um, covenant. In unconditional um, covenant, God holds himself only to the condition or the condition stipulated in the covenant. Well, what are some examples of, of these? We have, for example, what is called the Abrahamic covenant. God appeared to Abraham and, and, and commanded him to leave Ur of the Chaldees um, where uh, he lived. And if you read Genesis chapter 12, um, I think verses 1 and 2, you will see the conditions that God said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you um, a blessing, etc. And Abraham obeyed, and he went out. When he got into the land, God would visit him from time to time. And one time, this is in Genesis 15, God um, made a visit. And Abraham was concerned that he had no children because his wife was barren. And he said to God, um, God said, unto you and your seed will I give this land. Abraham said, Lord God, well, where by will I know that I have this? God says, all right, wonderful. Let me give you the assurance of a covenant. And he instructed him to get some animals and to prepare them. And God absented himself for a while. Abraham did as, as, as God said. And after a while, darkness fell upon him. He was tired of driving um, some predatory animals that came by to feed on the carcasses that he had in the ground. Abraham apparently got tired and he fell asleep. And at that moment, God appeared and God swore that he's going to give the land to Abraham and his seed without requiring any participation, anything that Abraham needs to fulfill for the promise to be true. In fact, Paul would eventually argue down in um, Galatians. I think it's chapter 3, uh, verse 16. I, I could be corrected on that. I can look it up and, and just make sure that that is, is the right verse, that Paul would eventually come in New Testament times and tell us, when God made that promise to Abraham, he said not unto seeds 
but unto seed, which is Christ. So the covenant, again, you see the universal nature of it. God is really covenanting with himself. Interesting. But the seed with whom the covenant um, actually rests with is with God himself. Hmm. It's Christ who will become the seed of Abraham. So an interesting thing that people need to consider, for example, is you look at a conflict in the Middle East today about the land of Israel. You must ask yourself, who owns the land? Christ owns the land. According to what Paul tells us, the covenant ultimately was made with Christ, who, of course, was Abraham's seed. He came through Abraham. So the title to the land belongs to whom? Christ. And uh, there's an interesting passage. I think it's in, oh boy, probably Exodus chapter 19, somewhere there, where um, God uh, told Israel, I give you the land. And here's this interesting clause. Because all the earth is mine. I mean, just let that sink in to your thoughts for a while and, and understand the depth of what God himself is getting at. That he's promising something and he's making himself the guarantor that you'll be the beneficiary of that promise. Very interesting. Pastor Joseph, we have a question that's come in via Facebook. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. Pastor, do you think that Christians think the way they do because of the teachings that they get from the preaching from the pulpit, especially in the area of works-based Christianity? I think that somebody um, was listening to you and me uh, conversating before we got on air. And again, I'm saying that is, you know, my very passion. Uh, I believe that we are robbed. And, and you know, I, I say this uh, with heaviness. I say it with regret. I, I don't mean to be unkind to pastors anywhere. I really believe that pastors work hard um, in, in, in ministry. And I believe that uh, the most of us, we, we work with a sincerity, meaning, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I really understand. But I can tell you, from my t time of being a Christian, and especially a pastor, I realize that there is this really great need to come up with a very systemized way of teaching our people the doctrines, all the sacred truths about Scripture. And this particular topic that we're discussing tonight is an area which I don't remember going to a church anywhere and heard anybody preach on covenants. Okay. I learned this topical area for myself. And, and so, of course, you know, um, many of our people are, are driven hither and yonder because they don't understand covenants. They don't understand essential Bible doctrines. People, preachers normally go into the platform, the pulpit on Sundays or whenever they go and preach and they will take a variety of um, topics that have that have no bearing necessarily on one another. So you go to church this week and you hear this topic. Next week you hear another topic. And that is no way to ground people. Let me just illustrate to you this quickly. I'm at Trinity um, for about two and a half years now. And um, when I got there, I uh, told the church that for Sunday school lessons or adult Sunday school classes, I'm not going to be using prepared manuals from anywhere. We're going to study through the book of Deuteronomy. And believe it or not, for two and a half years, we are still in that book and we are just at chapter 
We're about the middle of chapter 16 now. Now, we have taken breaks, yes, like at Christmas time and so forth. We take maybe a month's break and we look at the Christmas story and things like that. But we're not leaving that book. You know why? A lot of people don't realize that the Bible is built on a foundation of five books. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy provides an excellent summary into all those five books. It's the volume that Moses wrote. And you think those books are relevant in 2019? Oh, they absolutely. You see, because, again, you will see, how does God take a people and condition them to become his own? If you read, study through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll really see how God took Israel out of bondage and nurtured them to become a nation of holy people unto himself. Not that they would have been made holy by the principles in the covenant, but it becomes the process by which he trains them as to what righteousness is and what it looks like. That's why Paul said, for example, in Galatians, um, I think it's chapter 2, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It trains us that we are sinners and we are in need of righteousness, and it points us to Jesus Christ. So, yes, I, I think that there is a great need for us to be more systematic in how we teach. And and one of the things I'm trying to help the pers- the people at Trinity, for example, um, um, you know, to become comfortable with is that it doesn't matter what topical area you you bring to them. They should feel very comfortable in explaining to you what the topic is all about, pointing you to all the right scriptures. I want people to be independently grounded in the understanding and the knowledge of the Bible to the extent that they are self-regulating. And that is what God intends. And there's no other way to get it, really, than to have people go through a systematic step-by-step study of Scripture. So that question is a very, very good starting question, and I hope that we did justice um, in terms of the answer. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.05. You are correct if you're saying, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like Pastor Murphy's voice. It is not Pastor Murphy. He's on vacation for the month of August. But tonight we have in the studio with us Pastor Osbert Joseph, who is the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church here in Antigua. Pastor, you were just mentioning the Abrahamic Covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything else you want to add to that? Uh, or do you want to move on to the next no, 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 example? No, 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 that's fine. That's that. That's fine. Because you know, um, my father passed um, recently, and that gave occasion for myself and my siblings to start a Bible study on WhatsApp. We're currently studying through the life of Abraham. And one of the questions I posted this morning um, to the group was, do we realize that when God called Abraham, he actually was calling us? How so? Fine. I'm glad you asked that question. When God called Abraham... Because we're not Jews. That's right. But when he called Abraham, what he did is to commence his salvific program in earnest. How does that look? Well, out of Abraham, he was going to bring a nation. Out of that nation, he was going to bring a particular dynasty, the Davidic dynasty. Again, he erects another covenant with David. Out of the lineage of David, he was going to call a woman who's Mary. And out of Mary, he was going to call Jesus Christ. Out of Christ, he was going to call persons 
to salvation. And God's offer of salvation is a genuine offer to every person who has ever walked the face of the earth. Now, since nobody can get to God except through Jesus Christ, what we need to understand is that when he called Abraham, it was ultimately that he would call Christ. And when he called Christ, it was ultimately that he would call us to himself through Jesus Christ. So the Abrahamic covenant is pretty much still alive today. One in terms of the salvation aspect of it. And there's also some unfulfilled prophecies in terms of what God will yet do with the nation of Israel through the same Abrahamic um, covenant. So that too is a nice and good relevant question. Are there other covenants that you can point to that are relevant to our topic this evening? Excellent. That's that's very good too. So we have the Abrahamic um, covenant that we said is an unconditional covenant. We have the covenant that came um, from Mount Sinai uh, when God brought Israel out of Egypt. The core of that covenant is the Ten Commandments. But that's not the extent of the covenant. Now, I'm going to pause right there uh, just to explain that a little bit because I believe that there are persons who are listening uh, who need to understand this. If we go out to the book of um, Exodus chapter 20 where the, where the covenant was made and we look down to about verse, I believe it's 18, you're going to see something very interesting down there. I just about got it. Um, Exodus chapter 20 and let's get to verse 18. Now, um, chapter 20. Verse 1 down to verse 17, we have the covenant in earnest. Look at what happens in verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings, because remember the people were assembled at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Note that carefully. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us. Listen to what's happening you now. And we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. That's reverence. Right. No, not just that. That's, it's, it's, yes, it's reverence. The, 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 the awe of God really struck them. Yeah. They had never had an experience like this as a people or as a nation. And the presence of God really drove fear in them. That's good. All of us need to have a very healthy fear of God. But what they did is to say, listen, we don't want to hear directly from God because we're going to die if we continue to hear his voice. So Moses, you go over and listen to what, he's, what else he has to say. And then you tell us and we will obey. Now, let's see Moses give a little extra explanation on this particular incident. Um, so if we turn to Deuteronomy 5... And we're going to look at verse 22 to 31 real quickly. We're going to get to see that. Because it's important for me to, again, emphasize that the covenant at Sinai is much more than just the Ten Commandments. All right? In fact, the covenant ended up being what was called the Book of the Law. Okay? So in Deuteronomy, which again, um, what happens is that Moses had to rehearse for Israel the covenant made with them by God when they came out of Egypt. They were confined to 40 years of wilderness wandering for disobedience. 
And God said, everybody who's 20 years and above, they're going to die here in this wilderness. Now, when the time came for them to move on, God came to Moses and said, it's time to go on. So what he had to do was to rehearse to the nation the obligations they had under the covenant. So he's doing that again in this book of Deuteronomy. Now, in chapter 5, he rehearses the whole covenant to them again. But what's interesting, you know, we get down to verse um, 22. And you're going to see what's happening here. He says, These words the Lord spake to all your assembly, that is to Israel, Moses speaking, in the mount out of the midst of the fire. The words were the Ten Commandments that he rehearsed from about verse, I think, 3 all the way down to 21. So he says in verse 22, These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more, speaking about the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. Watch this now. And it came to pass when you heard. Notice Moses is rehearsing what happened 40 years prior. Verse 22 says, It came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near unto me, even all of the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with, with man, and he liveth. Now, therefore, why should we die? Hear the concern? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. They felt they were going to perish if God continued to speak to them. They said, For who is they of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and live? Listen to this now. They're telling Moses, Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Go, say to them, get you into your tents again. But as for you, and this is what I really want people to understand. But as for thee, stand thou here by me, and I will speak unto thee. Look at this now. All the commandments. So it's not just the Ten Commandments. The covenant was far more extensive than that. If you read Deuteronomy 28, you will see the, the, the conditions in the covenant for performing. From verse, Deuteronomy 28, from verse 1 down to verse 14, God says, If you obey me, all these blessings will overtake you. And the bulk of Deuteronomy 28, all the way down to, I think, 70-something verses, God says from verse 15, But if you don't obey me, all these curses will come upon you. So you see, the, at the core, we have the Ten Commandments. And around that, we have um, the clauses for performance and for non-performance. And then if you read um, other areas like, let's say, Leviticus 18, you will see other clauses, other conditions. For example, um, um, conditions concerning purity of the flesh. All of Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, Leviticus 18 is concerned with that. All right? And I'm saying to you, when it was all done... What they had was a book that's called the Book of Law 
and that really is the covenant. So you're asking me, I mean, are they other covenants? Yes. So we have the Abrahamic covenant. We have the covenant with Israel um, at Mount Sinai. We have the um, the Vedic uh, covenant. We can talk a little bit about that one too. I'll give you a chance to probably ask a question, or take a station break, and then you know we can talk a little bit about that one as well as we continue to develop. Yeah, let me so do a quick station break. If you've just tuned into the Caribbean, tuned in and are listening to us, you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua. 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at org. And for this program on Tuesday evenings, we are also online with a video uh, Facebook Live feed. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. This is a live interactive program, so we look forward to your interaction. You can Call with your questions and be put live on the air. To do that, you can call 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your questions, send it to 1-268-782-1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 816. Pastor Joseph, uh, the Davidic Covenant... What's important about it? What should we... I know we don't have time tonight to go into all the details. This topic is so broad as I was researching it, and I was just researching it at a broad base. But what do we need to know about the Davidic Covenant? Excellent question again, too. And indeed, I mean, this topic tonight, as I said to you, we can only scratch the surface. And I'm really hoping to provoke um, the interests of persons that they would want to inquire deeply and, you know, that, that they would begin to demand, let's say, of their pastors, say, look, we need to talk about, you know, these topics. It's, it's, it's critical. Everything that God does, relationally, Nathan, is done in covenant. All right? So let's, let's get that. All right. Say that, say that again. Everything that God does is done by way of covenant. Even for Gentiles. God does nothing relationally without a covenant. All right? We are grafted in through Abraham. As Gentiles, all right? And that, too, is an area that we can explore, you know, um, I don't know if you have time tonight or at some other time. I don't know. But let's get back to, to the Davidic covenant. God promised to establish the dynasty of David um, forever while acknowledging that its original royal covenant promises had been given to the ancestor of the whole nation, who is Abraham. The Davidic covenant establishes David and his descendants as the king of the united monarchy of Israel. That's important to hear. All right? What does the Davidic covenant promise to do? Listen to this again. The Davidic covenant establishes David and his descendants. So there's a particular lineage. As the kings of the, here's the critical thing to understand, the united monarchy of Israel. Many of us miss that. You know what, Nathan? Look at this. When David came to the throne, Israel was a divided nation. Israel got united under one king. Hmm. That was David. All right? And Jerusalem became his headquarters. That's a beautiful picture of what God ultimately intends to do with all of humanity and all who would respond to him through Christ. There's going to be one royal king in one royal kingdom 
with all the royal subjects. So the Davidic covenant is a picture of what God intends to do ultimately. Here on this earth? Well, in the new earth, okay. in the new realm. But we're going to get a foretaste of it on earth in what is called the Millennium Kingdom. And I'm getting that um, um, just now. So the Davidic covenant was a gracious, listen to this, unilateral covenant promising David that he would have a son on the throne forever. So that is God's promise to David. You are going to have a son who is going to sit and occupy your throne for all eternity. Only one person could do that. Jesus Christ. The one who came as the greater son of David. So this son, of course, is Christ, the son of David. The Davidic covenant, we can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Chapter seven. But there's an interesting um, passage from Psalms 132, verse 11. Uh, I would like to read that on here so that you know persons um, understand the seriousness um, of this covenant. It's Psalms 132. Persons are following us on here. They can see. 11, verse 11. We can take a few verses down. It's, 11 says, The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. So this is an oath that God makes. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body, I will set upon thy throne. So one who will come out of you, I'm going to set on your throne. Now, <laughs> what's the ultimate um, fulfillment? The ultimate uh, fulfillment comes to us. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 32. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. Because we know that Jesus is called the son of David. Remember blind Bartimaeus calling to him, Jesus, thou son of David. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. Speaking of Jesus. Well, let's go back to 31. It says, this is the angel speaking to Mary, saying to her, And behold, in verse 31, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. So we have that very clear now. He shall be great, verse 32, the verse I refer to, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now notice we read from Psalm 132, verse 11 that God actually swore this as an oath to David. Now, let me ask you a question. Why was that important? And why is this really a unilateral covenant? Because we saw failure in David. We saw failure in Solomon. We saw failure in Rehoboam, who succeeded Solomon to the throne. In fact, by that, when Solomon died, God ripped the, covenant, the, 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 the nation away from um, the Davidic line. And he, he gave the ten northern tribes to a fellow called Jeroboam. The kingdom now becomes divided. God himself divided the kingdom. Okay? And uh, he gives one tribe to Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. He said, just for David, my servant's sake. So when you look at this, you would say, well, God is really broken. I mean, this nation is about to fall apart. Why wouldn't it fall apart? Because God swore an oath unilaterally that I'm going to bring this purpose to pass. And ultimately, this purpose is going to come to pass in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we're looking forward to in the future, 
is Christ coming back? And this is a whole new, different subject here for itself. In the millennium um, kingdom, to sit on the throne of David. So that's why I said to you earlier on that we're going to have a foretaste of what glory looks like. It's a time when the saints will rule and reign with Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And yes, for those who are skeptics and doubters, there is going to be a rebuilt third temple. If we had time, I, I mean, well, in fact, we probably don't have time, but I'll tell you, just to get your appetites wet, go and read um, Ezekiel chapter 37 and focus on about verse 15 down. You see where God says, my tabernacle, my sanctuary shall be in Israel, in Jerusalem. And that is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So again, I'm saying, Nathan, everything that God does he does it by way of covenant. Why? He binds himself by way of oath to get his own purposes to come to pass. Other than that, if it's left to us, it's going to fail every time. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that from before God created anything on earth, mm -hmm. he had all of this planned out and that everything is done for a purpose and to an end goal. Precisely. So he's using us, a fallen creature. He knows that by ourselves, we can never accomplish the purposes that he has eternally predetermined. He has to bind himself to us, whether conditionally or unconditionally, to bring his own purposes to pass or they would fail. If we can only just understand this, Nathan, I'm telling you, we would be so free in our beings, in our spirits, when we know that we have come to Christ. Because the surety we have is not what we do to be saved or to stay saved. It's what he has done and the oath that he has sworn to us in Jesus Christ that we are his sons forever. So I've got a question. Yes. If, if God's got a purpose and a plan for everything, and you referenced the third temple, right. and I don't want to sidetrack our whole That's discussion fine. tonight, but I recently heard a discussion, and it was a bunch of confusion is what it came down to. Mm -hmm. So I want to have you give a biblical answer. Why in the third temple are there still sacrifices being made? Because Jesus Christ, the one and only sacrifice for all eternity, it will have already he already has given his life on the cross. So why are there sacrifices on in the third temple? I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you know, I hear people um, argue and wrestle over this from time to time. Well, Christ has come. He has made the ultimate sacrifice. So why would he allow Israel to do sacrifices? Here's a simple short answer. Because one, it just pleases him to do it so. All right? Watch this. Before the cross, persons were saved looking forward to the cross. Right. The sacrifices were made. No harm was done. People understood they were just in type. The reason that God allowed the sacrifice to happen in the millennium era is he's witnessing back to Israel. And, and, and here is something that we'll, I'm going to use to kind of stir people's thinking. All right? What God ultimately wants to do in Christ, he has played out in history. Do you remember that Jacob had a son called Joseph? Yeah. Good. What happened to Joseph and his brothers? Sold into slavery. They hated him yeah. fiercely. Right. And they desired to murder him. Eventually, they sold him into slavery. Not so? 
So they rejected him and just didn't want him. Went home and told her father to lie about the guy being killed by an animal, etc., etc. All right, good. What does God do? God creates a famine in the earth and caused Canaan where these brothers and their father live to be famished too. But he gave a vision to a wicked Pharaoh, a dream that he couldn't interpret, and he brought Joseph back into play. He interprets the dream. God said, well, I'm going to send seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph became head of all that big enterprise now. And by way of the famine, God calls his brothers down into Egypt because, of course, they want um, sustenance. What happens down there ultimately? They get reconciled to their brother. What's the parallel? Christ came unto the, his own. They rejected him. And they rejected him. So God has appointed a future time when just as he made Joseph reconciled to his brothers by a famine, he's going to bring a time of immense distress on Israel and he's going to cause them through all their disappointments to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So we have a prophecy, for example, in, 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 in the book of Zechariah, I think it's probably chapter 14, where it said they're going to look upon him and who was there of peace. And they're going to say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? And he's going to say to them, the wounds I got in the house of my friends. Before you cut me here, let me, let me, let me, let me show you the mystery that's going on there. Remember when Joseph's brothers came and he eventually offered them dinner and set them down in order. What happened? They all marveled. They didn't yet recognize him. And how does he know that this is the order in which um, 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 we sit? And look at what he does. He gave, a, he gave a double portion to the last brother, Benjamin. He shared the same mother with, 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 with him. All right? What's that a picture of, really? You see, God is going to reserve a double blessing for Israel in the oh, end. After all of her travails. And he's going to allow them to play back this type of the sacrifice that they ultimately may be able to apprehend and comprehend the reality that see him there, Jesus Christ, he's your real sacrifice. So they're not doing it for salvation. God is allowing it as a tool of witness to Israel to bring them to full reconciliation with the Messiah. All right? And many pastors shy away from this question because they go like, I mean, and in fact, many get stumped by a number of groups who would assert that that's nonsense because they're not able, they, 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 they're not able to provide the explanation that God is doing a specific work with Israel to have them reconcile back to him. Jerusalem is going to be headquarters for a thousand years where Christ is going to be. And all nations are going to go up to Jerusalem. Read the book of Zechariah from chapter 10 all the way down to chapter 14. You're going to see that. All nations will come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles up there. Why does he bring back his Old Testament feast? Again, as a tool of witness to the nations. Because people are going to be saved in and they're going to realize that all these things that we're doing in type and shadows, they really represent the true Messiah up here now. All right, so again, there's a salvific purpose in all of it. All right, so just as I gave Israel the shadows and types to lead the Messiah, so it is that I'll give these shadows and types back again so that others will come to Christ too. Thank you for that explanation. Very, I must say that one of the most concise, to-the-point explanations for that question that I've ever heard. On this Tuesday evening in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, the time is 8.30. We have 28 minutes left in the program tonight. A lot of material still, so we're going to do our best to get through it. 
But we are discussing biblical covenants. Pastor Joseph, you talked about the Davidic covenant. Did you have anything else that you wanted to mention, or you want to move on to more examples? Uh, Except to say that um, the the, the Davidic covenant, as I said, I want to emphasize that, is going to find its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That God has sworn by a unilateral oath that Christ will take the seat of David. So we are looking forward. And I want to make that point because, again, I know there are, there are a number of religious systems out there who teach differently. And it's, it's not biblical. And we need to understand that Christ will come one of these days to rule over this earth on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years, all right? We don't have time necessarily tonight to unpack that, to you know, look at all the passages that have to deal with that, but it's there. And maybe at another occasion we can go into that, you know, as a topic all by itself, all right? We can look at, for example, the second coming and some of the events that will happen at that time. Are there other examples that you'd like to share or you want to explore, dive into different types of covenants? Okay. With the, the time we have left, um, I want to kind of give a little more substance to the idea of covenants as we're discussing them um, tonight. So I want to say this. One of the things we want to establish tonight is that God does nothing relationally without a covenant. We have said that before, and I want to really underscore it. God builds relationships through covenants. In these covenants, what we ultimately see is the act of God's own elective grace. That is so big. Covenants ultimately about God's own free elective grace. So for example, why does God save us? Because he has elected in himself. In Hebrews we read that, I think it's Hebrews chapter 12, probably verse 2, that Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. What does he owe us? Absolutely nothing. We squandered what he gave to us. We are like that prodigal son who um, took of the inheritance and we went and squandered it. Our lives have been squandered in Adam. He sold us out. And because we have inherited his nature, we also sell ourselves out. Because, I mean, before we come to Jesus Christ in salvation, who do we live for? Ourselves. So it's like taking all the resources that we have in and for our life and living. What do we do? We spend it on ourselves. And then we realize that, I mean, if you had a son, Nathan, who um, you work really hard to give the best that you could give him. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you make the offer and this son takes all of that and he just simply goes and he just blows it. Uh, from a fleshly standpoint, I think our reaction would be, you know what? From this day onward, you're not my son. Yeah. Well, God has purpose that in spite of how far we have descended to the point where it grieved him that he ever made man. Why have you wrestled with us still, Lord? Because I've sworn an oath by my own elective purposes that I'm going to save you. That's what grace really is. I had to explain to my church the other day that grace really equals Christ. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. It's by grace that we are saved. We are saved by a gift. It's the gift of God. Well, it's, it's not what now that God gave. It's who did God give? He gave Jesus Christ for us. Because when he saves us, as I was explaining to you before we came on here tonight, what he gives to us, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, is the very righteousness of, of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is the righteousness of who God is. So how would any of us, by our own human effort and volition, rise to that level? Nobody for all eternity can ever rise to the measure of the righteousness and the glory of who God is. God for all eternity is going to remain a unique being. Angels who worship him today will still continue to worship him in all eternity. So anybody who comes before you and tell you, for example, that, listen to me, I'm saved because I have done. God says, you know what, like the Abraham, you have way of to boast, you know, but you can't boast before me. Because Ephesians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says, we are saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. Every time we look on why we are saved, every time we look on why we are enjoying all the blessings and benefits of glory, it will always go back to the praise of the glory of the grace of God given to us because God covenanted with Jesus Christ even before he created the world that if we fall, not when we fall, he would save us. All right? So uh, the point I'm, I'm just making there is that all of God's covenants comes to us as a consequence of his own elective grace. If God does not elect to do something, it can't be done. Man always fails. And you read to the whole Bible, you see that man is a constant threat of failure. We are saved by the elective grace of God given to us in Christ. And I already alluded to Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 8 and 9. The Abrahamic covenant, the Newark covenant, the Davidic covenant, the covenant with Israel. All the covenants that came to us by way of God's own elective grace. He's the mover in all of these covenants. Why? Because there's a purpose that he's seeking to accomplish on our behalf. That his purposes, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, according to election, well, not really, um, Ephesians, it's in Romans, he said that concerning Israel, might stand. All of these covenants was to serve as a specific and here's the next word again, irrevocable function. Each one of them had a specific function that God was accomplishing. And, and the, the, the function was irrevocable. So, for example, let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. What was the purpose and promise inside of that? The land will be long to your seed. That's irrevocable. So, for example, when people argue about whether Israel has right to the land today, guess what? God gave them the land as an irrevocable process. But what if you don't abide by or believe in the biblical worldview that you're using, that you're looking through the situation from? Wonderful. And that is why we have the conflict as we have it in the world today, that people have refused to accept the record and the testimony that God gives. But what happens in the end? God always wins. We have to understand that we are wrestling with a, with, a, with a process that is really bigger than man. And it will not be solved by man. Man created it. 
God has purpose and place to solve it. So, for example, if you go back um, to Egypt when God sent Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? I don't know God and I will not let Israel go. Moses went back and protested to God. God says, no worry. Now we're going to see what I do. You see, because God always, again I'm saying, he binds himself to these covenants so that whatever he purposes, he brings it to pass. Pastor Joseph, we have a caller, uh, not to go live on the air, but they called in with a question calling from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who called. And here's the question. Who was the prophet that called God evil and why? And this is the reference that uh, I believe they are referencing, and I'll read the verses. Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And verse 12, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. We we have to understand, be careful when we read the scriptures. Um, Moses was the telling God to turn from his fierce wrath and repent of this evil. Moses was not accusing God of moral evil. That's what we need to understand. What he's saying to God is if you act in your wrath and judgment and destroy them, to them it's evil. Uh, it's a God saying again in the covenants, if, if you don't obey, I'm going to bring evil on you. What he means is I'm going to bring judgment on you. So Moses was not being at all in, in any way disrespectful to God. He was entreating God. For Israel. Again, <laughs> this is quite interesting because you have to ask yourself, why did God listen to Moses? Why didn't it fail? Hmm. Because again, God covenanted to preserve Israel. Let me show it to you real quick. I'm glad that the person asked that question. If you read from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, um, verses 26 and, and 27, here's what God said concerning Israel. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an, listen to this, everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set, this is the verse I spoke about earlier on, will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. God promises his presence to be in and with Israel forevermore. So, in answering Moses' prayer, God was simply being faithful to his own pledge to himself. Then it ends in verse 27 by saying, My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let me tell you something. There is a beautiful picture of God's own wrestling, not just with Israel, but with all of us. Um, in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 the Bible says there is none no 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 there is not a just man upon the face of the earth that doeth good 
and sinneth not. In Romans 3, we read that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 7, we hear Moses crying out, O wretched man that I am. As a saved person, in his being, he wants to be obedient to God. But he finds that although he's saved, he has two natures inside of him. He has the old sin nature, and he has the new divine nature. Because he said to us that the law of sin is written in my members, that is in my flesh. And it's really bringing me into captivity. And it's not allowing me to do the things that I really want to do. That's, again, is the very essence of what God covenant with us is all about. You are not going to be able to accomplish that. And if I want you to live, I have to electively choose that you would live. And the way I'm going to make you live is through the covenant of grace. That I'll be able, it's like the passage that says, where sin did abound, grace did abound much more. God has covenanted that no person on the earth can sin to the extent where grace cannot reach him. And this really is the, is, is, is the very essence of understanding covenants on the whole. That everything that God is building and doing relationally, he undergirds it. He supports it. He upholds it by a covenant. And the ones that ultimately matter are the ones that he has sworn unilaterally in himself. Such as the Abrahamic covenant, such as the Davidic covenant, such as the everlasting covenant in Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, why? Because it's on those covenants that what? He brings out the whole promise of salvation to all of us. If he never did that, nobody could have a claim on salvation. We would never be saved. Because we'll be eternally wrestling to rise to the level of satisfying the righteousness of God. And if the righteousness of God is consistent with the nature of God, nobody can get there. Because for all eternity, there's going to be one God. <laughs> I don't think we can discuss biblical covenants without discussing this question. I've had people tell me before that we as the church or as Christians, every promise that was made to Israel mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. that we as the church replace Israel, that we can claim those covenants. What are your thoughts on that? Is that related all to what our topic is tonight? No, that's not true. Um, that, that really falls under something we call in theological circles um, replacement theology. The church does not replace Israel. And um, there are lots of promises yet to Israel which are unfulfilled. Uh, if, if you read um, through the middle portions to the end of Jeremiah, you read the middle portions to the end of virtually up to the end of the book of Ezekiel. You read through um, Zechariah. You have to understand that what God did with Israel was, was, was to give them a lot of natural, physical blessings for obeying him. Why? Because, again, as I said, God's purpose was to train them in righteousness. That you're being rewarded for living a life of faithfulness. Now that we have come to the place of the fullness of that understanding and Christ. Uh, has come. We understand that the blessings that God is seeking to give us as believers is not the material. This world will come to an end. God says um, the elements here are going to burn with a fervent heat. What God wants us to do is to look towards the blessings of eternity. And it is not that, for example, he would not choose to bless persons here and there to be uh, material blessings to others. 
But that's not the substance of, of life as a child of God. What we hold on to with tenacity are the blessings not yet seen. Okay? How do we illustrate that? You take the book of um, Hebrews chapter 11, somewhere down in, in the end of that um, chapter. You see where, for example, it was said of Abraham, that after God said to him, look east, look west, look north, look south. All that you see, Abraham, I give to you. All right? Then the Bible says, Abraham began to look for a new country, which has foundation, whose maker and builder is God. We look at all so many other um, saints in, in that chapter who were sawn asunder. And I mean, they didn't have a care for their natural existence because they were looking for an eternal inheritance. The problem we have, Nathan, with this whole idea of claiming all the material blessings of Israel is that a lot of pastors have not been faithful to their call. A lot of them are taken away with the desire for abundant material success. And, and what they do really is to tamper with the purity of the gospel so as to get people to begin to behave in a way that they look towards material blessing and all. I mean, if you bless the man of God, then God will bless you and, you know, all that kind of nonsense, really. All right? But when you go back to the essence of, 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 of Scripture, you realize that the emphasis, especially under the new covenant, are the spiritual blessings. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Don't lay your treasure up on the earth. Where moth and rust and we corrupt but lay up there in heaven where they will endure. And that really is, 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 is the issue with persons who want to claim all the material um, blessings of, 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 of Israel. God hasn't promised that to New Testament church. Pastor Joseph, we have 10 minutes left in the program, and I'd like you to share about why, why are we discussing this this evening? How does this relate to my life in Let's see, we're middle of August, going toward the end of August 2019. Mm -hmm. Why is it important that we know about God's covenants? Um, again, for me, the thing that really undergirds it is the lack of assurance that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And the way in which we are tossed about by, uh, as the Bible calls it, every wind of doctrine. Um, we are not challenged, for example, to live the best life that we can live in the flesh in Jesus Christ because we don't have the assurance of the salvation that we claim to have. If you really know that you're secured in Jesus Christ and, and that he doesn't look at a failure here and a failure and say, well, you know what? You're not saved this moment. Until you pray and confess, then you will not be saved. And if you never confess, then you have no assurance and guarantee of salvation. You know what ultimately happens? People become frustrated. And they say, there's an impossible standard set before me. I, I can't meet that. And then many people backslide. If you really can live in the joy and the assurance of knowing that I'm sealed and saved for all eternity, I think that lots more people understanding this will come to a place where they will willingly and voluntarily submit themselves in full to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives and becoming the best Christians they can be. You say, well, I mean, oh, that's a pipe dream. No. Look at Abraham, for example. When God was about to destroy Solomon Gomorrah, he said, after he had a, a visitation with Abraham, he said, uh, 
I'm going to destroy this place. Should I not tell it to Abraham? God says, yes, I'm going to tell him. Why? Because I know he's going to command his children after him to obey me. Well, let's ask this question. What is it that caused Abraham to live a life of such full surrender and faithfulness to God? It's because he saw and understood the faithfulness of who God is. This is what I think is lacking a lot among our people. And why it is that we live such subpar lives? Because again, we don't understand that because God has brought us in this relationship in which he guarantees that we are saved and safe, then we really can live life not worrying about the times when we stumble, but worrying more about how do I really please God for this kindness, this love, this benevolence that I can really never pay for. All right, and this is why this topic is 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 so um, critical. Let, let me let me let me go on to say to you as well this, and there's a passage from Philippians chapter two verse thirteen that you know I, I wish that everybody would learn and would meditate on a lot. It says, "For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure." Look at it. It is not me. It's Him working in me. Why? Because it is his purposes. All right, let's go back. I think this verse is lifting us off my tongue head, lifting us 19.2, where God says to Israel, be holy because I am holy. Let me ask you a question. What does holiness look like? Nobody knows what it looks like. God, by his Holy Spirit, brings us into greater understanding of what holiness is as we surrender to who he is and the more we surrender it's the more we want to be like who God is illustration take Moses when he went for his second stint of 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God and the Bible said he didn't drink water and he ate nothing what would you do after 40 days of going without sustenance we'd want to eat yeah what was Moses' singular concern he said, Lord, let me see thy glory. There was something about the mystery of the presence and person of who God is that totally eclipsed his own natural desire to feed and to sustain himself. I am convinced that the more we walk in the presence of God is the more we're going to want to be like God. And the more we come to that place where our understanding is that our relationship with him is a guaranteed relationship, we're able then to throw our faults and failures aside and to come to him in fullness. Just like David, where he says, you know, David's a man after my own heart. Why? Oh, come on. David was as big a sinner as anybody else could be. You know, David was quite an adulterer. And not just that. David was a murderer as a child of God. But then God says, he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because David knew how always to go throw himself back at God. And he, he knew I have the assurance of what? He would yet receive me. That's what covenant love is all about. Pastor Joseph, we have a question from a listener in St. Martin. Pastor, where are believers going to when they die? Is it heaven or Jerusalem? <laughs> 
that's a very that's a very interesting question. And and here's a simple short answer. They're going to both places. Why? Okay, let me let me let me and, and I didn't mean to be funny with that at all. I laugh because I mean, you know, I think it's very interesting and uh, it's a wonderful question. Um we are going to heaven. First Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 down to 18 tells us that Christ will come for the church and the church will meet him in the air. So we're going there. And and um, in Revelation 19, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And after that, we come back to the earth to reign and rule with him in Jerusalem. So yes, we're going to both Jerusalem. We're going to heaven and Jerusalem. And we're going to finish off the program this evening with a caller. Codrington, thank you for calling from Antigua. Please be very quick. We have just a couple of minutes left in the program. Okay, I'm going to make it um, quick and maybe we can finish up um, whatever. Okay, I'll the radio for a little short time because I forgot that is that too today. So, um, how much minutes do you have? Make it, we got like two minutes, so make it real, oh. real fast. Okay, that's not what you know, but um, I was a question I want to bring out to um, Pastor my, Joseph. My um, mother, Mary, Catholic mm. mother, Mary, I want to bring out the question. If um, the mother from um, Moses, after Moses didn't get the mother for um she this so, because actually Moses didn't have two mothers, right? But I want to know this so if she was um Israelite mother since Moses bring out all the peoples and them from um Egypt. Um you can answer that for me, but um I'm also going to finish up it more next time. Okay? okay, hold on. Before you go, let me ask you. Uh, where do you get this notion from that Moses had two mothers? I'm not understanding. Because um, the first mother um, accepted him as his son. That's mm-hmm. the one to say with daughter. And then he has his real mother now. Oh, okay. So you're thinking in terms of Moses's biological mother, the one who gave birth to him. And mm-hmm. you're thinking in terms of um, the woman, Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Okay, yeah. wonderful. So your question then is what? My question is, um, like Mary is a mother for um, Jesus, Jesus and, right? Mm-hmm. And Mary is a mother for Jesus, and Jesus was a righteous man. If, if um, though she the seed that come from Mary, this is after Jesus Christ. Now, for people come to be um, a Christian after your give your life over to them, right? That is number one. But I have to think it because I'm um, next time. But that's how I was going to put it to um, the one with Moses now. Since when Moses have all those people there to deal with, like Jesus Christ have all those people to deal with after they turn over their life to him. After Moses told take away the people in him from Egypt. Egypt. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I uh, just want to compare the two of them. This is, uh, there is a mother I want to know. Well, let me put it this way to you. Um, Moses being the instrument that God used, the person God used to deliver Israel out of Egyptian bondage, is ultimately a picture of God delivering us, humanity, from the bondage of sin by Jesus Christ. And just as... Um, Moses had a hard time in dealing with um, the Hebrews as as they came out. So it is too that 
um, those of us who come to Christ in salvation, we become a source of much trouble to him too because we still have our old sinful ways and nature um, with us as well. And again, the whole point is, had God not covenanted in Jesus Christ to save us to eternity, we would not be saved. And we would be in a situation where Moses, for example, had to intercede before God and said, God, why are you about to kill your people that you brought out of Egypt? Do you, you get the point? That really is the substance of it. So there's a parallel day that you really need to see to appreciate the grace and graciousness of God to us in covenant to Jesus Christ. In 20 seconds, how would you sum up the importance of biblical covenants, Pastor Joseph? It is the most beautiful concept that we can find in all of Scripture. That God would have his own volition choose that he wants to have us as a people to inhabit eternity with him. And without a covenant, before he made us in Jesus Christ, he would not have accomplished it. And so we really praise the glory of his grace given to us in Jesus Christ and thank him. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.